You're listening to Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, a podcast all about pop culture that these brilliant ladies enjoy. So, heat up your kettles. It's tea time. Hello, everyone. I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea. And you are listening to Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, a proud member of the geek to geek podcasting network. So this week, Chelsea and I are actually celebrating our one-year podcast anniversary. Yay! One year, Chelsea, one get year. off your phone. No, that's my notes. Kidding. These are all my notes. No, right. I know. I'm just kidding. Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so the day that this episode is being released is December 4th, which turns out is exactly one year since we posted our first three episodes of the podcast. Because uh, when we first started posting episodes, we kept jumping between what day we wanted to post our episodes. Plus, sometimes we'd be like, oops, we missed Monday. We're going to put it up on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. So it just ended up working out that December 4th was the first day we posted three episodes. And this episode will also go up on December 4th. So, hey, for a good timing. Yay! <laughs> Um, so because this week is big for the podcast itself, we thought we should pick something rather large to cover, uh, a show and a novel that has a lot of heavy themes that deal with women that deal with our currents, some themes that kind of match our current society and political climate. I know this is not a political podcast, but we might cover some politics. Um, so we're going to be talking about The Handmaid's Tale. Yay! the novel and the Hulu series. Yes. Um, so because we're covering so much stuff all at once, this is like a lot of heavy stuff. We're not going to be uh, jumping into a catch up or a weekly geekery this week. Um, we're recording yeah. two episodes this week, actually to, uh, to have a special guest on our next week's episode. So we'll be doing all of our catch up. That's technically for this week. In next week's episode. Yes. So if you want to know what we did this week, you're going to have to wait. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. Dying to know. <laughs> I know. This is people's favorite part of this show, too. So we're just straight up skipping it. But this is a really sorry. good topic this week. So I feel like it yeah. deserves the time. That's all. Yes, it does. But we do need to do our due diligence to have. For the network, because we love the network and we love the people that we have gotten because of the network that listen to our show. Uh, so for this week, uh, I was listening to uh, all of the podcasts on our network, plus catching up on some of the other podcasts I listen to. And this week's this past week's episode of The Comic Box with Rob was really great because, as you know, um, the Avengers Infinity War teaser came out, though it felt like a trailer, not really a teaser because it was like two something minutes long. Oh, my gosh. If that's the yeah, teaser. So how long is the trailer going to be? Ten minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not it's not going it. to be that long. <laughs> it's not going to be that long. No. Um, but he went into this pretty thorough breakdown of the trailer, which was really great. Uh, catching things that maybe uh, people missed watching it. I know I missed some stuff. Uh, didn't miss the fact that Hawkeye wasn't in this trailer at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> didn't miss that. Uh, but the comic box is really great. Rob is hilarious. He does his own theme music, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> he scats in between segments. It's great. <laughs> it is really funny. So... 
people should check out the comic box podcast. It's so wonderful. I know that he's thinking about doing some restructuring coming up, which is really cool. So I can't wait to see what happens there. Um, but just keep listening for promo for the comic box. Comics. Hey everyone, this is Rob, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is Liam, the the languishing, lascivious Liam of Langley. Wow, that was extremely illiterate of you. Well, I try. We are the hosts of The Comic Box, part of the geek to geek podcast network. So join us. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah. And we are back. So, like I mentioned earlier, Chelsea and I will be covering the novel and the Hulu original series, The Handmaid's Tale. So I just want to kind of toss out a possible trigger warning here, I guess. Uh, Some of the topics that Chelsea and I will be covering regarding this show and the novel could be triggering to some of our listeners because they're pretty heavy topics in relation to women and politics and society in general. Uh, So please do take care when listening. Um, There are times where Chelsea and I will be expressing our own personal feelings regarding some of the themes of the series and others where we're just going to be talking about it in relation to the series itself without injecting our own personal opinion on it. But just be aware that we will be expressing some of our personal opinions yes and so if you have other opinions it's okay we're all humans we can all come together and have different opinions yes it's okay to disagree with what some of the things that we're saying that's fine i'm not telling you not to disagree with us and not telling you to agree with us but these are just our opinions and our thoughts and please don't send us hate mail (laughs) please don't (laughs) I'm very, I'm very emotionally delicate. (laughs) Uh, So with that, let's get into this week's topic. So I'm just going to kind of like go over what everything is about. That's perfect. And then we'll just talk about stuff. So the novel, The Handmaid's Tale, was written by Margaret Atwood. It was published in 1985. Uh, The series was picked up by Hulu and all 10 episodes of the first season were released on the streaming network on April 26th. 2017 uh i watched it on hulu chelsea watched it as it aired on actual tv yeah because it we don't have hulu here in the uk it's very sad um so they i think it's on all four is the network i think that it's called and they aired it week to week so i had to watch this like a regular old tv show and it was torture but actually i thought it was better to watch episodes like week to week because it's a very heavy show and i don't know if i could take like watching all 10 at once or like even five at once so i kind of was glad i had to wait week to week I think I broke it down like maybe two episodes at a time or something because it was just I didn't need a repeat of 13 Reasons Why. Yes, exactly. So I kind of took my time with the series, but it also made you like it's it's definitely binge worthy if that's what you want to do. Oh, uh, yeah. But for me, uh, I took it binge slowly. Yeah, so. I I think if I had the option to watch all of it, I probably would have watched more than I should have. Um, and I probably would have regretted it <laughs> just because it, it is a very like you want to watch the next episode right away. However, as soon as you're watching it, you're just like, oh, God, I, I just need I need a break. <laughs> I need a break. 
That happened a lot while I was watching it, and my mom, um, sometimes she would be close watching it. She's like, Mike, what are you watching? And I'm like, The Handmaid's Tale. She's like, this show is just... Yeah, it's yeah. awful. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's it was an amazing show, but oh, it was also awful at the same time. Extremely well done, extremely just important. It's just a lot. <laughs> yeah. So the novel itself won a lot of awards when like throughout the years. And then the series has also been nominated and won a lot of awards, including Primetime. Emmy for Outstanding Drama Series. And then Elizabeth Moss, who plays Offred, won Outstanding Leading Actress in a Drama Series. And I also think they won Best Supporting Actress yes, as well for Alexis a Drama Bledel. Series. And Alexis Bledel won that one. Yeah. She plays Off Glenn and then Off something else. Yeah. So anyway, so the series and novel, like, they stuck pretty close, it seems, to the novel. Yeah, there's there's and, a, a lot of minor differences, but it's very close. Yeah, so I'm just going to give one general description that sort of covers both. Yes. So the series and the novel is set in a place called Gilead, which is a totalitarian, totalitarian society in, in what used to be the United States. So Gilead is ruled by a fundamentalist regime that treats women as property of the state and is faced with environmental disasters and a plummeting birth rate. In a desperate attempt to repopulate a devastated world, the few remaining fertile women are forced into sexual servitude. One of these women, Offred, is determined to survive the terrifying world she lives in and find the daughter who was taken from her. Yes. (sighs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Apologize if I pronounced Gilead wrong and also totalitarian is a hard word to say that's okay no I think Gilead is is the correct pronunciation yeah the former United States basically. yeah so what was interesting about the novel is that uh I found some information about how the novel is actually structured mm-hmm. uh because Alfred is the narrator of the story so she's telling her story uh, both in the book and in the series. But what it does is it jumps between like her story specifically and then her interactions with other people. So the other handmaidens plus the, uh, the, the oh my God, the commander and his wife and uh, other commanders and their wives and other people outside of like her household basically or her bedroom. Yes. So the handmaid's tale is structured in two parts. So night and other various events. And the novel jumps back and forth. Like, it'll have a page that says night, and then it'll be a chapter, chapters about, like, her. Mm-hmm. Just her. Yeah. Talking. So this novel can be interpreted as a double narrative. So Offred's tale and The Handmaid's tale. So the night sections are solely about Offred, and the other sections, shopping, waiting rooms, the household, are the stories that describe the possible life of every handmaid though from the perspective of Offred. So it's always from her perspective, but it could be uh, believed that what she experiences is the same thing that other handmaids are experiencing within their households, even though we're not getting that side of the story. Yeah. So in many of these sections, Offred jumps between past and present as she retails the events leading up to the fall of women's rights and the current details of her life, which she lives. So she gives a lot of description about how her life was with her husband, how she met him with her friends, with her child, uh, everything that she did in college leading up to like when the 
religious group basically staged a revolt and took over the government and basically killed the president and all of Congress, almost all of Congress and took over the government. Yeah. And um, it would be paragraph to paragraph sometimes like one paragraph would be set in the present. One would be set in the past and then it would be back mm -hmm. to the present or whatever I just said. Like it would go back and forth, back and forth sometimes because she was relating a past event to how she felt currently or like she was like telling her story of like maybe say she was taking a nap and so within that nap period she starts thinking of something else but then she goes oh no no no, I can't think about that now and then starts mm -hmm. describing something you know what I mean it yeah was, it was like you had to read every line of this book yes like you could not skim Katie and I learned <laughs> that <laughs> reading this yes and I thought it was interesting. There was one thing that happened, like, before we get into, like, the themes, the actual themes that they cover in the series and the story and the novel. Uh, there, I remember them actually, like, her showing what happened the day, basically the day that she lost all of her right to be an independent person. Yes. Uh, she got fired from her job because she was a woman. She had zero access to her, fi to her finances because she's lucky because she had a joint account with her husband. In the so, series. In the series. In the series, she had a joint account with her husband, so she actually didn't lose all of her money because it just went solely to her husband because in this society that was being created, women did not have independence. They were basically property. Mm -hmm. They didn't have any finances. They couldn't own property. They couldn't vote, can't read, can't <laughs> write, can't talk to each other basically can't go anywhere alone can't do anything they're just basically. vessels to give birth to children uh, i think in a lot of the, the places that i was reading stuff about this book they were basically just a womb a walking womb that yes. was what they described the handmaids as yep so thanks to spark notes <laughs> uh i'm gonna go over some of the themes that are very prevalent in the series on the novel, as well as some of the motifs mm -hmm. that pop up. So this is where the uh, heavy stuff comes in. Not yes. that none of the stuff before we were talking about was heavy. Um, so the first thing that they really dive into is women's bodies are political instruments. Uh, so basically the government has control of reproduction. They took over control of reproduction. Mm -hmm. So the state tackles the problem head on by assuming complete control of women's bodies through their political subjug subjugation. Women can't vote, hold property, jobs, read, or do anything else that might allow them to become subversive or independent and thereby undermine their husbands or the state. So in this thing, in this series, it's very dystopian. That is what this is described as. It's yes. a dystopian society, which is how it becomes. But leading up to this, there was a lot of infertility. So because of pollution and at rampant STDs and a lot of people taking birth control, that the mm -hmm. birth rate just plummeted. So there were no babies. Well, yeah, there were most people were either miscarried, like miscarrying a baby or just couldn't get pregnant. Um, a lot of the men were even going sterile. Um, yeah. It just wasn't happening for most people. 
Yeah. So a lot of the biggest problems that they were talking about was that the population was getting older, but not reproducing. So the population was basically dying off Mm -hmm. and a rogue religious group decided that the way that they could fix that was by taking over the government and rounding up all of the people that were considered fertile Mm-hmm. And or had had babies before, or yeah, know. anybody that had a child like Alfred. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name in the series is June. She doesn't actually have a name. I think in the book, she's just considered. She's just called I Alfred. Think, I think she is. I think she mentions that her name's June in the beginning. Maybe. Oh yeah, maybe. Possibly. Anyway, I know we, so, we both read a lot in the last. Oh. <laughs> so June had a child. And yes. obviously she is prime handmade. Mm-hmm. Like they want her. Yeah. So, yeah. So women's bodies, basically they have no control over anything that has to do with their own lives anymore. So they took everything. Yes. They completely control how they dress to the point where she even mentions one time, like the reason why they're so covered up is not even just because they don't want to be like objectified, but even like so that they couldn't touch themselves and not even just sexual, just like if they wanted to comfort themselves and to like hug themselves, it would, they wouldn't be hugging themselves like with their skin, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, it, it was very much like, no, you aren't in your own body. Like your body is just an object completely. Like you, I, <laughs> you know, yeah. I've noticed that a lot of things that are dystopian, a lot of, they revert very, they go, they jump back into the past, which is always very interesting that it's taking place in, this book is taking place in the future, whereas. Is it though? I think it's, it's much further into the future because they were mentioning like 2195 and stuff like that. That was the end, the ending, which we'll get to, which is. Um, where they look back on this time period as if it's like part of like, like it's some abstract part of history, like the way we look back at slavery or the way we look back at, you know, World War One or whatever, because I can't they mention actually know what year this takes place. They mention a lot of things from the 90s or like Agent Orange. Um, They mention like the feminist movement. They like in the from the seventies and stuff. Oh, maybe she it's said, not that far into the future. Because in the book they say like, oh, think like people like a lot of people would, were affected in terms of like if they were able to give birth or not because of Agent Orange. You know, Got so it. yeah. So I feel like this took place like around the nineties ish or or like late nineties, early two thousands. That's how I, I mean, just going by like the subtle things she'd mentioned from the past. Yeah. Cause her mom was like a hardcore feminist in like the seventies or something. Like she was going on, you know what I mean? She was, yeah. she was doing like bra burning and <laughs> that's right. Fighting for abortions <laughs> and you know, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So not that far into the future, technically in the past. <laughs> It's still just it's still interesting though because I think it's almost more fascinating when it is present day because you connect to it more. Like obviously this book was written a while ago. 
So it yes. would make sense that it was in that time. But then for the TV show, it was written in present day. Yeah. Like they were using Uber, you know? <laughs> I mean, like. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 So they, yeah. It, it's, it's almost scarier because it's set in present day. Because that's right. it's so that's familiar. True. At least to me. It's, no, it was frightening to be honest. Like when I was watching this show, it is frightening. Yes. Especially like with our current political climate, it is in the United States specifically. Yes. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Anyways, so moving on from that. Yes. Um, the next theme is language as a power of, as a tool of power. Yes. So Gilead creates an official vocabulary that ignores and warps reality in order to serve the needs of a new society's elite. So it becomes very, very, very religious. So a lot of the things that the handmaids say back and forth to each other is things like under his eye. Yeah. And that's praise like be. their praise. Be. It's like their adorable greetings for each other. Like they don't talk in a fashion that would be considered normal because it's from the past. It's from before mm-hmm. Gilead. Like they don't talk like that at all in her head she talks like that mm-hmm. um how you would expect people to communicate with one another but yeah. that's why i think that offred misjudged off glenn in the beginning because she thought that she was just a pious mm-hmm. she thought she was gal, a true believer a true believer but in reality that's not true they were both just scared and going along with it till until they felt comfortable yeah, because they both basically thought the other person was like, oh, if I say the wrong thing, she's going to rat me out to the eyes and, mm-hmm. you know, become, I get sent to the colonies and become, un, be recognized as an unwoman. Yes. Which is just like some of the terms that they have for people, like an unwoman. Yeah. Like those are people that are considered infertile and that are, or get, uh, what is it, gender betrayers. Yeah. They basically don't and serve their their duty they don't have a as purpose. a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And they send them off to the colonies to clean up radioactive waste and basically die horrible deaths. Yes. Yep. I have an interesting note in terms of the language after you read your, your other part. The, the lessons. Yeah. So men are defined by their military rank, whereas women are defined solely based on their gender roles. So wives, handmaids, or Martha's. So wives are either wives of the commanders and they're just the commander's wife. That's what they're considered. That's all they do is their wifely domestic duties. Mm -hmm. A handmaid, which is what offered is they are basically second to the wives, which is interesting, but it's because their purpose is considered important. Because in certain without situations, them, yes, in certain situations, they have so less freedom, them. but they they are protected more and get like better food because it's a necessary to like further baby making, basically. Yes. <laughs> and then there's Martha's who are your cooks, maids, things like that. Yeah. So they have a bit more and freedom, but they also don't get quite as much like. They serve a purpose. Yeah. Uh, These are women that I believe can't have children either, but they have a trait or a 
something that makes them important. So Mm -hmm. they still need to have maids and cooks and things like that. So they make them Marthas and they work within the households of the commanders. Yes. So, yeah. And you had a thought. Yes. So I don't know if you noticed it. I actually didn't notice it while watching the TV series, but I I noticed it immediately with reading because I'm obviously looking at the words. Their names... At first, I thought it was just like they were making up weird names, but it's of Warren, of Fred, Mm -hmm. as if they're declaring like, oh, this is the property of Fred, the property of Warren. I completely missed that while watching the show. I have no idea why, because I'm terrible with names in terms of when I watch TV, I am terrible with names. Yeah. So it's yeah. more of just like a random sound to me. It sounds terrible, but especially since these weren't regular names, it's like, oh, yeah. Offred. I, I didn't think anything of it. But immediately, like reading it, I was like, oh, wow. Even with what they call them, they are immediately yep. telling you, you are the property of this person. Yeah, they took away their birth names pretty much. Which? Because they have no independence or self. That they are simply there. It's another way of letting them know that this is who you are, that you are nothing but the property of this particular person. And every time they switch from one household to another, they get a new name. Exactly. So this uh, working with the commander, Fred, like being his handmaid, that was her third posting. Yeah. So she had two other names before that. And then off Glenn... That's the current household that she's in. Well, stuff happens to her and she goes away and then comes back. Yeah. And her new name is Off Warren, right? That's her new name. I think so, yeah. So they place her with a different household. So everyone immediately knows who you are just by your name. Like who whose house you are at, like whose property you are by your name. Yeah, there's a there's a scene in the both in the book and in the show that has to do with oranges. Yeah. When they go shopping and she goes, I don't have any like stamps or coupons, credits or whatever it is that they yeah. use as their form tokens. of money tokens for oranges. She goes, oh, well, just tell them who you who you are mm-hmm. and they'll they'll give them to you. Yep. In I think in the show, she ends up getting the oranges without having the tokens. But in the book, she goes back to the Martha mm-hmm. and says, oh, they have oranges can I get some tokens for oranges the next time I go shopping? And she goes shopping every day. Yeah. (laughs) Every day. Well, and like, and she says like, don't be afraid to use who you are or like, don't be, sorry, don't be afraid to use who you belong to, to get like better cuts of meat and things like that. You know, this just, it hurts me physically, mentally and emotionally. Yes. Completely. Okay. So next theme. <laughs> then the next theme is the causes of complacency. So in a totalitarian state, Margaret Atwood suggests that people will endure oppression willingly as long as they receive some slight amount of power or freedom. So this is what is kind of scary about this situation is that when you get placed into a totalitarian state, if you don't, from what I understand based on like, history and you know my experiences in school and all that stuff like learning about this Mm -hmm. is that when you give when you live in a state like this if you want to control the people that you're ruling over give 
a little bit of power and a little bit of freedom. And a lot of the times they won't, they'll just take it. Yeah. Take it as it is, which is frightening. Yes. And I mean, obviously there are going to be people who realize that, no, this is not how things should be that, you know, we should have complete freedom, complete power over what I say, what I do, how I dress, how I live my life Mm -hmm. versus people who just become complacent within a society that's ruling over them because they're given a little bit of power, a little bit of freedom. Yes. So within the hierarchy of the women, there's that. Like the wives have some power and more freedom, but they basically have no say in anything. And that was very apparent between Fred and his wife because she was 100% for, you know, women should be in the home. They shouldn't be working. They should be raising children, taking care of their husband. That's how she was before. Yes. And she, it was very prevalent in the series where you watched her, uh, when they do some flashbacks for them, that she helped create this society and the rules and the things like that, that became this new government and this new, like became Gilead. And then as soon as that happened, she lost all say and everything. And you can tell that that just kills her. Like he goes off on meetings and meets people and talks to other government officials and does all these things. And yet she has to stay home. That's what her job is, is to be home and take care of her husband. Yep. She came, she can't be a part of the system that she came up with. Yep. At all. I know. I, I love that addition to the series because they didn't really touch too much on that in the book. They talk about how she was beforehand and how she she felt it as her sacrifice to go around and to preach these ideals. Like, Because she was basically doing the opposite of what she was saying. She wasn't mm-hmm. staying at home. She wasn't, you know, taking... Like, she wasn't just a stay-at-home wife. She was out on the road preaching that everyone else should be a stay-at-home wife, and she herself was making the sacrifice to spread this message. But in the show, they don't necessarily kind of describe it as that. They they more of reference to the fact that she was like a famous author that would, yes, preach this message, but then she also came up with this government and the society and then was immediately shut out. Yep. And even and even though she kind of logically understood it, it still hurt her because she was like, well, can't I be the exception? Because I'm the one who came up with this. And he's like, sorry, hon, they just won't let you. They just won't. They're not going to, you know, <laughs> which is insane. Like, sorry about it. Which is insane. That and was- kind of one dumb of her to set that up. It's I think it's because she believes so heavily that she would be able to continue to stay involved and be the exception that the shock of her not being able to be a part of it, even after that religious group took over was that's part of the reason probably why of why she's so angry. But also she's the one who they talked about the whole handmaids thing and that being something that they wanted. And then she couldn't have a child with her husband and ended up getting a handmaid. And she just resents the hell out of the fact that Mm -hmm. her husband has sex with this woman. Yeah, because 
the the relationship between her and Fred is very different from from the book to to the series because in the series you feel like well one they focus on her a bit more than they do in the book but mm-hmm. you can see the longing that she they actually did have a good connection before the the change and the takeover they actually ha- did have a good connection they just clearly couldn't like have children so they were very attracted to each other and had this like somewhat good marriage but then after it was like oh well pretty much anytime you have sex now it has to be with someone else like she would even try to instigate or start things in between and he would just push her away because sex no longer came about passion and love it became about it became a mechanical thing you had to do as a Sarah you know what I mean so yeah she lost that affection from her husband completely. They also changed because I took the commander's wife. So her name is Serena Joy, right? Mm-hmm. That was her name before the changeover mm-hmm. as much older in the book than yes. in the series. Yes. So they made her very young in which, the series around the same age as Offred, I think. Yeah. Which also probably changed the way that she interacted with Offred mm-hmm. too because she's younger and she's much nicer to her in the book I will say oh my god yeah because she's awful in the series she, I mean I love oh, that actress very Stachowski much is amazing yes she did an incredible job in the state in the series and just just awful person awful. I mean she beat the crap out of her like at one point oh my god yeah like she was, I mean, and then like taking her to see her daughter and then being like, psych, and then, you know, taking off, at least in the book, she shows her a picture of her daughter. She's very nice about it. She's like, I'm so sorry. Like, you can only look at this for a minute because they're going to know it's gone. I have to get it back. Like, she's actually like somewhat nice. You mean in the series, she drives up, leaves her locked in the car while she goes over and has playtime with her kid. Yeah. Exactly. What? A- like she taunts the heck out of her. That like, is not cool. It, it was it was interesting. I mean, she you could tell she resented the crap out of her. She wouldn't look at her or anything. But I think at the same time, she, I don't know, started to feel bad. But yeah, I mean, obviously, once uh, she finds out about her and the commander basically having time when they shouldn't she obviously doesn't act so nice but well it basically goes from being in her mind it goes from being a must like he has to have sex with her but she's in the room which is just the weirdest thing ever that is oh that is so weird in in front of her to her hooking up with him on the sly yeah which is not okay yeah because in her mind that's like it's already you know you're having sex with my husband and i'm allowing it to oh you're cheating on on me yes yes exactly which is just i can't okay well that very much moves us into our motif uh, discussion because the first topic on this is rape and sexual violence yes so For this, so while Gilead claims to suppress sexual violence, it also institutionalizes it. Yeah. Which, 
this is the most ridiculous thing. Like in my mind, this is the most ridiculous thing ever with saying that this is not what we want, but then turning around and doing exactly what you're saying you don't want to happen. Yeah. Happens. Exactly. Because there is a place called Jezebel's, which is a club Mm -hmm. that the commanders go to, which the commander takes Offered to. This is where he starts hooking up with her. Mm -hmm. It's run by the government. Yeah. It's a bunch of prostitutes that service male elite. So basically what happens is that women who are considered too rowdy or too independent to become handmaids, but they're still of handmade quality, basically, with their fertility and things like that. Mm -hmm. They give them the option to either be, like, designated an unwoman and sent to the colonies to die or to go to this whorehouse. Yeah. Basically. Exactly. To become a prostitute and service commanders outside of their normal relationship that they have with their wives, with their handmaids. Yeah, because it's only it's only nature's way. Like they have to like because because she keeps telling Fred like, uh, isn't this like super against the rules that you made? You know, but yeah. they're like, oh yeah, but I mean we're just human too, right? We have our needs, and it's like, dude, you don't already get your needs in every possible way. So basically, this is you can't have your cake and eat it too, man. Exactly, <laughs> but not only does it's, he have his cake and. He eats it, too, but then he's got more cake in another place. It's it's absolutely ridiculous when you when you think about it. So most important. So sexual violence is very apparent in um, in the central institution of the novel with the ceremony, which compels handmaids to have sex with their commanders. So the ceremony is this. I don't remember how often it happens. I'm assuming it like it's once like a once week? a week. I'm assuming it's like once a month. A month? Like I think during like ovulation? During, yeah, during ovulation. So exactly. like during the time in which it would be the most, like the chances of getting pregnant are very high. Yes. So the ceremony, it's a ritual of sexual intercourse intended to result in the conception at which the wife is present and... The first time I watched the ceremony happen in the series, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's happening. It's it it's it makes you almost like physically sick watching it, to be honest. I mean, one, it, it should make anyone sick, but especially being a woman, it's just you almost you almost feel violated just watching it. It's like I mean like I, I sound like I'm laughing, but I'm really not. It's because it's an I'm uncomfortable just laugh. <laughs> so I'm so um, flabbergasted over just listening to these people that are supposed to say like that have these rules in place that would be a hundred percent against this, and yet they're doing it. And well, yeah, they say that by doing this, they're technically safer because they're not being assaulted violently on the street at random. So they say that like before all this, you know, men were constantly like, you couldn't walk on the streets alone. You didn't walk at night. Like it was, it was basically like walking in the streets of like New York, like as a woman alone, like dangerous. 
but like to an extreme and everywhere. That's what they were saying it was like. So, of course, we're just going to like tell you when it happens and it's going to be marked as like a religious ceremony and it's not going to be for the male's pleasure. It's really just to reproduce babies. So it's okay. Yeah, no. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't... I think it's more that I just don't know what to say about it because they've literally institutionalized like rape to be okay. And yes, well, that is to them it's not so rape. scary. It's, it's not. It's uh, an act of reproduction. I don't know. You're not supposed to be okay with it. So, I mean, yeah, that's the it's, point. You're not supposed to be comfortable with what's no. happening. It is so uncomfortable these to are, watch. These are desperate people acting in desperate measures. At least that's what, you know, they try to to let you know. Because the population is just, like, absolutely decreasing. I actually think they do... The book does a better job of showing you how it evolved slowly. Uh-huh. Like, how, how it kind of came to be. Whereas I feel like the series kind of made it feel like it almost happened overnight. Um, but I feel like the series did a better job of showing you the desperation. Yeah. Because this wasn't just the United States in the show. Like Mexico was saying like they hadn't, there was no babies born like the last 20 years. Now that's insane. That's crazy. I was just going to say, I think, I think the part that I got really upset about, I mean, like I was upset about this entire like everything that was happening. But the part that kind of pushes me over the edge is that those people from Mexico come to visit and Alfred is trying to tell her like, this is not a society that you want to live in. And she thought that this woman was going to help her, that she understood the situation that she was in. And then she goes, well, there's been no babies born in my village for the last 20 years. And my family and my people are dying off so we need this and just the shock and she couldn't believe that she wasn't going to help her that it wasn't just the people that she had already interacted with that the people that she had hoped were different were exactly the same that they gave the same reasons the same situation that it didn't matter yes that it's she just, she asks the question, and it's asked in a completely different, like from a completely different person in the book. But she asks her, "Are you happy?" Which is something that obviously no one has ever been asked during this whole situation because it's yeah. like, why would we be happy about this? We have we're not supposed to feel anything because we're not supposed to be treated as human beings with feelings. Exactly. So she thinks by her asking that question that she cares. Yeah. So she feels like, okay, like maybe I can go to this person and maybe I can get out the word that, no, we are not happy. We are not going along with this. This is being forced upon us. Yeah. You know, and maybe she could get some help, but it's, she, you can tell that like Mexico is desperate. Yeah. Just like the United States felt like they were. Oh, my God. Um, The one thing that the next thing that was really big was the use of religious terms Mm -hmm. used for political purposes. Now, this thing, this particular thing was very prevalent in the show and in the novel. 
But also this right here reminds me a lot of some of the stuff that's happening currently, like in real life, is that in the United States, we're supposed to have a separation of church and state like that is in the Constitution. That is supposed to be something that's being followed. And yet it's not. Well, uh, yeah. To a certain degree that a lot of times that people within our current government situation are using their religious beliefs to make decisions for government, for political purposes. Yes. Which, in my personal opinion, is not okay. So in the series... What they're doing is that they basically institutionalize religion, that it becomes political, that everything that they read about, it's Old Testament stuff. Every everyone is supposed to abide by the same religion and the same laws as if they are one. Basically, the religion is law. Yes. Um, And. In the ceremony specifically, so every time they have a ceremony, all everybody's there. They're Martha, Nick, the driver, the wife, the commander. They all meet in the same room, mm-hmm. and he pulls out a Bible and reads some passage from the Bible that has to do with how they were able to convince people that having handmaids was okay. Mm-hmm. And then Nick and the Martha leave. And then they get ready for, they have the ceremony, which yep. is, I, just thinking about the ceremony makes me want to throw up, to be honest. Yes. No, it completely does. Like, even even after seeing it, reading it in the book was was hard to read. It was very hard to read. It's just, it's so like, I, oh my God. Anyways, so... Uh, the last one was that there are similarities between reactionary or retention. I can't even read this word. Um, there's a lot of feminist ideologies that happen within this. Mm-hmm. I think I spelled this word wrong, which is why I can't read it. Oh, okay, yeah, I can't. Uh, I got it from uh, Spark Notes. That's okay. So, and I didn't write anything about it. But what is there? Oh my god. I'll have to think about this. Maybe we'll just skip this one. Okay. We got a lot to get through anyway. Yeah. So there's a bunch of questions I have. So we'll just pretend like I didn't talk about that one. That's fine. Um, So questions. So overall, your like overall opinion real quick. How did the series make you feel while watching it? Sick. Yeah. Like every time we watched it, I would like clutch the blanket And like, it was almost like as if I used the blanket as a protection. (laughs) Yeah. And I would like clutch it and cover myself and just like try not to get physically sick because if, if the word cringe was a physical like feeling, that's what I was feeling. Like my whole body was just cringing the whole time. Yeah. Not that this wasn't very important. And like I said, very, very well done. It's just a lot of the things going on. It was just hard as a woman to watch other women suffer this way and to imagine like if I were in that situation. I think for me, 
the hardest part about watching it. I mean, obviously, the whole series was very well done. The hardest thing about watching it was watching women go through this stuff and watching other women be okay with it. Yes. Or or, just being complacent about mm -hmm. it. That was really awful. And also watching women being punished for speaking their mind or for doing things. Aunt Lydia. Um, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, like, there was... They made, like, she mentions Aunt Lydia, like, almost every single chapter, which you can tell is a part of the brainwashing that they do. Like, she's constantly thinking about what Aunt Lydia said, what Aunt Lydia taught her. Yeah. There is this, like, institute... So when the women were first captured and taken to become handmaids, they pretty much put them in an institution where they are working on brainwashing them to be okay with this situation, to be okay with the current political climate, to be okay with the way society is going to be and be okay with their position. And telling to teach them, them how to behave and what yeah, to do. T- and Telling them that what they're doing is wonderful and amazing and that they're providing a service that is unique and nobody else can do what they do, that yeah. they have an obligation to the world to help the population grow to let themselves be a like a holy vessel kind of crap and to if you they're they're taking the brunt of the of the hit to help their future generations it's like this is to help your children and the future generations like so they don't have to go through this it's like well then clearly you think that this is something to go through if you know what i mean like oh my god yeah it's just i can't i can't deal with it um we already sort of talked about our thoughts on the themes as we were going through them yeah so the flashbacks so what were your what was your reaction to some of offred's flashbacks um I, I really liked that they start off with showing you her her and Luke and her daughter escaping mm-hmm. um, because you're immediately sympathetic to her. You know, you're seeing the bad guys like chase after him. You're, be, you're seeing her being ripped apart from her family um, in the book. Uh, I don't think they start off with the flashbacks. I think you don't get to the flashbacks till quite a bit in but I thought it was interesting that they had her and Luke's relationship be like like basically they were cheating yeah um I thought that was an interesting move because while I don't necessarily agree with that action because I you know I would definitely obviously not like to be cheated on and I would hate to you know it's not a good thing but it also makes her not a perfect person yeah which makes her human yes like I don't like it when or not I I prefer it when my hero is not necessarily like a god a perfect person mm-hmm. because it's hard to relate to that um yeah you know, 
they fell in love and it just happened to not be in a great way. And it was a very deceiving way, but it also kind of then gives you the, the trouble in like, you know, in the show, they call them like, they call them sluts. I mean, they do in the book too, but they call them sluts just by them being women. Yeah. But then by her having done this act, it gives you that little tiny bit of internal conflict. Like, well, I mean, she did sleep with someone's husband, but then you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like that internal yeah. struggle of like, okay, but like, how do you know these women are sluts? Like you don't know their lives. You don't know if they're just married to one person or don't not even married. They just don't, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> It does. But basically, I like they didn't make her like a perfect person. Um, I liked that you saw her with her mom and that her mom was like very feminist and had clearly influenced her later on, her and Moira. Um, I was kind of sad that they they didn't have any of that in the show. Because I thought that that would have been really, really interesting. So, yeah, I think I think I liked those flashbacks the most. Her and her mother her and just before the the uh the time where they like you know change everything it was very very sad you know seeing the flash or reading the flashbacks with her daughter it was very very sad seeing the flashbacks with her daughter and luke yeah i felt like i connected to luke a lot more in the series because i think we saw a little bit more of him and we we got a lot more of him. him we even see him on his own yeah. Like we, we know nothing of what happened to Luke in the book. Nope. But we know very much like the scene where he gets to Canada and he's like welcomed into Canada, Canada immediately. And Canada is basically giving them like everything. I, I was like, that was just very emotional. I just, it, <laughs> to a certain point, it kind of cracks me up a little bit that in this series and the book that Canada is like the savior the speaking and that's <laughs> and that happens a lot about how some people look to Canada because yes. of how they run their government and how they like treat their people especially right now with some of the things that are happening and Canada mm-hmm. is basically welcoming refugees with and people with open arms that are fleeing from this country Yes. Which is yeah, not something we need to get into. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. But, but the flashbacks. Yeah, they were amazing. I like that we got to see what happened to Luke mm-hmm. and that he didn't die when yes. she thought he did. And that she gets that glimmer of hope later on in the series where she, one of the people that works for the woman from Mexico tells her, like, your husband is still alive and he's in Canada. And it kind of yeah. gives her this hope that... Like, he goes, I can get a letter to him if you give me one. And yeah. she's able to do that. Mm-hmm. Which I thought and was really, really good. And probably setting up setting something up season for later. Two. Yeah. I'm sure that's what it is. And um, I just, I like that it shows the relationship that she had with Moira beforehand. I didn't approve of the cheating at all. Like, that aspect was just, it really showed that she is not a perfect human being, like you were saying, that that even she has flaws that some of the things that she did were, you know, not the best decisions that she could have made in her life. But that doesn't mean she does, doesn't, deserve doesn't deserve respect. 
Exactly. Um, so moving forward, we kind of talked about some of this other stuff. So I want to talk about Nick a little bit. Yes. So Nick is basically he's the driver for the commander. He is also an I. <laughs> and he works in the household for the commander, but he is also secretly working for the government. Not even I don't even think the commander knows that he's an I. That he was specifically placed within the household to keep watch over the commander, his wife, and his handmaid, and the Martha. Like, he was there to watch over them, plus anybody that they interacted with. Mm -hmm. Because he was always there all the time, hearing things from the Marthas, hearing things from the commander, because he drove them around, listening to conversations that took place in the back of the car with the wife, whatever. He was an eye. He was like, basically, he's considered the eye of God. (laughs) That's what they call them. That. They're the all-seeing eye. And Nick, his situation is different, that he he gets roped into doing something that he probably shouldn't have been doing, clearly. Uh, Offred was not getting pregnant. Yeah. And in the series, when she goes to get checked by a doctor, the doctor mentions that, I bet you... Like the commander is sterile, that he Just can't like have most children. Of the men. Yeah. Yeah. That he can't have children. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to blame him. They will blame her. Yes. Because it is not his fault that he, she can't get pregnant. It would automatically become her fault. And the doctor even offers to, like, he goes, I can fix this for you. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want. So he's offering to, like, try to help her get pregnant, the doctor is. And she tells him, which is just awful and disgusting. But at the same time, in the relation to what is happening in the novel, like, that could be considered something that would be, like, a saving grace for her. Like, if she gets pregnant, then things will be better for her. And she can, you can tell that she considers it, but she's like, no, it's too dangerous. Yeah. Because for her and for him. Yeah, it's for the super risky because, well, even her saying no is risky. Like, she's almost, I mean, she's kind of lucky that she didn't get punished either way. Because yes. she said, like, if I say no, he could mark me as infertile and get me sent to the colonies. Yeah. You know, he can say that I'm, you know, I'm no good anymore and they'll toss me out this you know but also if i say yes and i get caught then the same thing will happen so she was kind of like stuck in between a rock and a hard place but yet she kind of puts it off yeah she was lucky in that her interaction with that she happened to get a doctor that wasn't that seemed not okay with the current climate but was trying to do what he could to make things better in the circumstances that they were in. Yeah. And I think the same situation sort of applies to Nick. So the commander's wife pretty much realizes that, you know, she's not getting pregnant, but we need to get pregnant. Like, this is important. So she goes to Nick and says, I want you to have, basically have sex with my handmaid. Mm Mm-hmm. And try to get her pregnant. And it's not like Offred can say no. Yeah. Like, that is not something that she can do. And even Nick is like, I can't say no to her. Like, I can't. So that happens. So they have sex. And then after that, like, it was very different from the normal, the normal, from the ceremony style of sex that happens. Mm -hmm. um, Where it's just very, 
it's mechanical except for that one time where like the commander touched her leg and she her internal monologue was just yeah. she's like what is he doing can she see this oh my god i can't believe he's touching well, yeah. me like that's he when touched he starts her leg. to invite her in and he tries to make it less impersonal because yeah. i think for him like he's having a hard time because i think they even sh- don't they even show like it's hard for him to like yeah. Yeah. It's hard for him to essentially perform, com- complete the ceremony, <laughs> complete the ceremony. Um, <laughs> so for him, he needs a bit more of personal connection. And so he yeah. starts to invite her in and talk to her and let her play Scrabble. And so he's developing a bit of a personal relationship with her. And therefore, when he's in the middle of the ceremony, he does go to touch her in a way that he absolutely should not be touching her. No. And she freaks out that she's going to be punished because of it. Oh, yeah. And she even confronts him later on in the series. I know she does in the series for sure. In the book, Uh, too. Says him, like, you can't do this. You can't do that. Like, how dare you do that to me? Like, you can't touch me. Yeah. And it's just... And then they start going to the Jezebels, too, so he can have actual, like, personal... Yeah, he can have, like, yeah. Yeah, it's awful. Quote-unquote regular sex with her. (laughs) Yeah. So the thing that I found interesting was that Nick became Offred's, basically her rebellion against the system. So after they had, like, that weird just we, we need to make a baby and like she stood yeah. there and watched them and it was just it was weird like the, the wife did it was just not okay yeah well like she touched his arm at one point during that that scene and she was like oh man like she touched him and that was not like okay yeah so there's a scene where after all of this stuff happened she goes to his apartment thing above the garage alone and they have actual like full consensual Consensual. yeah (laughs) which is something that she doesn't like isn't basically hasn't done in a long time so that is something that allows her to i think it she reclaims part of her independence in that moment where she makes the decision that this is something that i want to do yes and they actually start having some sort of like secret relationship. And in the story, I actually like their relationship, which is so weird to say. Yeah. And I was uncomfortable with it at first because I felt like the TV series was doing it just to make it like, Oh, well we got to have sex and all this other sex scenes are uncomfortable. We need one hot sex scene. Like it Mm -hmm. felt at first and then I was like and then I really thought about it and I was like no like she's reclaiming sex as a thing of pleasure and not something mechanical mechanical. something and she's claiming her own sexuality and saying like you know this is for me yes this is not for anyone else other than me and my pleasure and my decision uh there was a part towards the end where she finds out that she does get pregnant uh, mm-hmm. Alfred does when he like kneels I think he kneels down next to her and like he becomes very affectionate towards her which is really 
It's not something that she gets. Like, the cuddling, the touching, the kissing. Like, that stuff doesn't happen. And he puts his hand on her stomach because he knows that, like, that baby is his baby. Yeah, it has to be. And it's actually a very sweet moment between them within something that's just super awful. Yes. And I know that it turns out that Nick isn't everything that he says he is, that I think that his relationship with Offred actually changes how he sees things. Mm-hmm. And he becomes part of the Mayday resistance. And at the end yeah. of the novel, uh, she does get carted away into a black van. Uh, she thinks she's getting shipped off to the colonies or being taken by the eyes. Mm-hmm. But he tells her that that's not who's in the car, that it's actually the Mayday resistance. Yes. is Which I don't think they tell you that in the series. Nope. nope. So you have, you think she's just, because she think, basically like, gone. I'm like, she going to die. That's what I thought. Like, <laughs> yeah. But that's, um, it's good to know that she's not. But yeah. Yes. So is there any particular, like, I kind of talked about the a few of the scenes that stood out to me is there anything in particular in the series itself like any scenes that stood out to you the most um the scene where they're in the red center and they're having like their group therapy slash like tell us all your sins and you'll repent for them kind of thing. Yeah. Where the one girl's talking about getting gang raped at 14 and they say, and whose fault is that? And they go, your fault, your fault, your fault. And they're pointing at her. And then they, you know, that scene made me want to throw up so bad. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I remember that. That is so awful. It, uh, so that stood out. And also the scene where they stone the man to death. Oh, were they, were they not only do there's the one where they know that it's not a stoning cause they stone, they were going to stone the girl, but they oh, like the basically girl. ripped that dude apart with their bare hands. Yes, that's and true. That's true. There were two scenes, which they do not do in the book, by the way. Oh, they added that the extra. Yeah. T- touch of violence. So, that that was a lot because you see her like the first time she's completely shocked and revolted by it kind of Mm -hmm. but then the second time you could see her get into it and kind of she was angry yeah she was very angry yeah oh and and the whole suicide storyline oh with I, i don't know if that was in the last 40 pages that i didn't get to read but the suicide from um, Janie, I think, or at least Janie is her name in the book. I forget what her name is in the yeah. series. The one with one, one eye and yeah, actually gives birth to a kid. Yeah. See, this is the thing, though. This is what I found interesting is that they, particularly for her, so her storyline is that she ends up getting pregnant, but... Also, you can see how manipulative that the commanders are within their own household. And in the series, we get a glimpse of that where she takes the baby because once you have the baby, that baby is not yours. You don't get to take care of it. You're only around in that household to nurse the baby until that is not needed anymore. And then they ship you off to a new household to be somebody else's handmaid. And this girl, she kind of 
lost it after she was basically tortured and they took her eye because you don't need to see anything to make babies no nope. according to them that was to to make her comply with everything that was going on what is it if if the eye offends me pluck it out i think that's what they oh, said god yeah so basically she reveals that you made all of these promises to me you said we would raise this baby together you said that we would run away together so i could let you do all kinds of weird like (laughs) s&m yeah like weird shit they basically were doing very similar to what the what um offred and and Fred. fred were doing Except she was into it, and obviously June was not. <laughs> yeah. Or or at least she wasn't into it nearly the way that uh, the other girl was. Yeah. Um, and she basically is going to take the baby and jump off of a bridge. But Offred convinces her to take to give her the baby, and then she just jumps off the bridge anyway. Yeah, which um, was terrible. The only thing, the only redeeming like tiny tiny redeeming thing that I could even say about that structure was that when they found out that the commander was doing what he was doing they took him yeah and into custody and were like oh so you're gonna be like messing around and not following the rules well guess what and they like which is hilarious because they're all doing it it's yeah, just but they he don't, got caught like, oh he got caught so we can't have him like telling everybody that we're hooking up with other people at jezebel's and taking our handmaids out and yep. dressing them up in pretty dresses and saying oh this is my girlfriend exactly gross so exactly. we talked a little bit about how the commander treated offred that he was trying to make her feel more comfortable with the situation by giving her a little bit of freedom. So that kind of goes back to that whole totalitarian system where you give people a little bit of power, a little bit of freedom, and then maybe they'll become complacent within their position. And I Mm -hmm. think that's what he was trying to do. Plus because the woman before her had committed suicide. And I think he wanted to make her feel better about, or at least happier and not so upset with the situation and therefore gave her that little bit exactly like you said that little bit of freedom i think that also their reputation is also a part of it that oh well you've already been through three handmaids and haven't had any babies what's going on at this household like oh are you like what's happening kind of thing or like oh your handmaid committed suicide what are you doing yes so him trying to make things a little bit better more quote-unquote normal or Mm -hmm. get her in touch with her you know how things were before like oh let's play scrabble and she's like we can't do that he goes it's okay because i say it's fine so they play scrabble because they're not allowed to read or spell or read through spelling yeah he gives her magazines he in the book, he gives her lotion, which is absolutely not allowed, and she was using butter as lotion, which is gross. That is really gross. She was using um, it as, like, a face moisturizer and lotion, and I was like, <laughs> I'll just let my skin dry, thanks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so next, I just want to talk about Off Glen really quick. So yes. Alexis Liddell's character. I was so, surprised Off Glen was not in it more, considering she was so involved in the series. Yeah. So Off Glen is what they would be considering a gender betrayer because she uh, 
she had a relationship with a woman. She was married to a woman before mm-hmm. the fall of the United States. And I don't think anybody actually knew that about her originally, but she's fertile. So if she just agrees to be fertile and sleep with men, then it won't matter. Yeah. To stay stay alive, basically. To stay alive. And she actually ends up, they show very heavily, like, some of the things that happened to her. So there was a lot of, I'm sure people saw the scenes of her with, like, the, the, like, basically, like, the mask gag over her mouth because she got caught hooking up with another handmaid, right? Or a Martha? It was a Martha, I think. With another woman. Yeah. Pretty much. So because she is fertile and is a handmaid they didn't they didn't like punish her her. to the they didn't kill her so they made her watch though when they murdered the other girl because she was a gender betrayer so they killed her and then took her to a facility where they performed surgery on her without her consent and they basically told her that they fixed her so that she won't seek out pleasure Yes, they. Basically I don't even want to do think what, about what. Yeah, they, I don't want to think about what they yeah. did to her. They were like, "Well, you they can do it still in other have, countries, and it's awful." Yeah, they were like, "Oh, you can still have babies, but you can't. You'll have no reason to seek out what you were doing before." Yes, and in the series, so she comes back, and like everybody thought she was dead, but she ends up coming back. And in I know that in the series, she like basically she's part of the Mayday Rebellion or she knows some of the stuff about the Mayday group mm-hmm. and she's trying to get <clears throat> like offered to be a part of it. And mm-hmm. some of the other girls are actually a part of it, too. And well, yeah, off- cause she's at the commanders with the, the commander who she has is like top really top. important. Yeah. Yeah. So she wants her to get information for her also she has the ability to pick up that package that's at jezebel's yes because the commander is taking her there and they know that even though she doesn't actually get the package moira has to get it for her yes um but off glenn basically like i will say that i did really enjoy the moment where she stole that car in the series and like drove off though i almost threw up when she drove over that guy and like his head exploded that was super gross (laughs) but she did a lot of the like oh she's driving and like breaking all the rules and i know that in the book she disappears and nobody knows what happens to her it's because she does commit suicide in the book i believe yes um but in the show they like cart her off Mm-hmm. And um, I did find it interesting that they focused a little bit on her, that the family that she was placed with, I think it was off Warren, that the wife didn't was like, I'm not feeling well, so we're not going to do the ceremony tonight. And you hear her say, you can't feel unwell every time we do the ceremony. And she goes, I can for as long as he keeps believing me. That yeah. she got placed with a family with a with a commander's wife that wasn't okay with the situation. Yeah. That she gave her a lot of freedom, like playing with the dog and doing things like that and trying to keep the ceremony from happening. Yeah. Because she didn't want what was happening to happen to continue to happen to her, which yeah. is like a small glimmer of hope in mm-hmm. something that there is no hope. Exactly. And you can tell, so, like, m- like there were quite a few people who weren't 100% down for everything. Yeah. 
And I'm glad that they actually did show a little bit more of that, showing that the only problem is, is that it continues to showcase that theme of complacency within a totalitarian yeah. system. Yeah, because they're not doing anything to stop it, but they're also not... Yeah. They're well, like doing they they're doing something small but in the wider range of things and really not doing anything at all. Yeah. Like I mean to a certain point I guess that's at least that's something mm-hmm. that they're doing something which is great. Um so any thoughts like I guess like we can just wrap this super I know. long conversation up. Honestly, I could talk like another hour about this show, but obviously yeah. we can't. It's just there's so much yeah. to this this uh, franchise because it's now a franchise. Um, there's a quote that I copied, but it's kind of long. Um, and go I, for it. Are you sure? Yeah, go for okay. it. There were stories in the newspapers, of course, corpses in ditches or the woods, bludgeoned to death or mutilated, and interfered with as they used to say but they were about other women and the men who did such things were other men none of them were the men we knew the newspaper stories were like dreams to us bad dreams dreamt by others how awful we would say and they were but they were awful without being believable they were too melodramatic they had a dimension that was not the dimension of our lives we were the people who were not in the papers. We belie- we lived in the blank white spaces at the edge of the print. It gave us more freedom. We lived in the gaps between the stories. So this is a quote that June says before this happens. Mm-hmm. And I think this quote not only very much shows you how easy it is for a society to fall into something like this, and it kind of very much relates to everything that's going on with our current everything. Yeah. Especially with all the sexual harassment stories. So basically what she's saying in this quote is we feel bad for the stories that we hear in the news. But at the same time, to make ourselves feel better about it, we don't really think about that as being something that could happen to ourselves or yeah. to people we know. So as much as we feel bad we pretend like it's it's a story or something that would never happen to us and yet that is why things happen yeah so for example sorry to get political everyone but a lot of people never thought that Donald Trump would be elected president yep. we thought it it'll never happen to us we are a country that knows better we are not going to give in to this type of person type of society and then it happened because we weren't taking it very seriously yep that to me is a a huge relation um same with all the sexual harassment stories going on in the news we all knew it was happening but now that it's like out in the open and we have names it's starting to feel more serious i think the thing with that with, with that that's going on is that the shock for people they were like I didn't know that this so much of this was going on and I'm like are you blind it's just that they weren't talking about it yeah that's well the it's, they were talking about it but just nobody they was listening being believed and no one was yeah. listening exactly nobody was so. listening and now that people are finally listening they're actually shocked at like how prevalent that it's become and the fact that it's become prevalent is such a problem 
Yep. And it's wonderful that people are coming out and, you know, saying, finally talking about it and that people are understanding that this is something that is not okay, that you can't just be complacent about it, that you have to do something yes. about it. And that... Or otherwise something like this will happen. <laughs> oh my God. Like, like honestly. It, it's, honestly. It's really scary. And like every day that something happens, I mean, like you don't live here anymore, which... No, but I very much no, I, care. No, I know. I know you care because we live here. And, and, it, like, and it could possibly be my future or I, I thought it could be my future. You know, we, yeah. we it's, it's it's very still my country. Yes, it's very frightening. And every day it's just a little bit like that's why the show was just so it hit, hard. It hit, hit hard. home. <laughs> it hit home really hard because you could see things within the show that are currently happening. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is that if we don't do something to stand up and say something and fight against it, that it is entirely possible that something that was written as fiction could not be fiction any longer. And yep. people might disagree with us about that. And that's yes. fine. But that don't is ig- the truth. it's about not ignoring it is what it is. It's about yes. being complacent in something is just as bad as being okay with it. Yes. Like those people that said that there's no way that he could have won and then being like, my vote doesn't matter, and then not voting and then being shocked when he did win, you became complacent in the belief that there's no way he could have won and then you were shocked and appalled that it did happen and yet you didn't do anything to try to change that. And so I, I don't know when I read that I was, I I was in a Starbucks and I'm reading it and I just had, I I typed it all out on my phone with one hand while copying it from the book. And it was just like, I was like, this quote just says so much about how, how we fall into things that are so shocking that we think can never happen. Yeah. And, and how these people in the story fell into it. Yeah. You know, you think, how could an entire society, you know, fall to such just disgrace, you yep. know? And it's easy. You know, you get desperate and, you know, people think it's not really going to happen and they, they think it's just a story or just it's happening to them, not me. Yeah. And therefore it, it just happens and they don't fight. It's a lot of things of situations like this and a lot of the themes within this, at least the complacency within things and things like that can actually be traced back to some of the things that happened during World War Two. Yep. And exactly in Germany and things like that. But that is an entirely different conversation for another kind of podcast. <laughs> and if you want to hear about uh, a lot of stuff like this in terms of uh, the current political climate and whatnot head on over to state of geek with the friend of the podcast joe from geektitude that's actually a really great podcast that for like two hours talks about topics like these and it's really great so yep it's very political and in relation to the geek world and it's great so with that hopefully we do not get political (laughs) again for a long time yes and talk about some other things that are more on the happy side Yes. Um, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Tea Time. So thank you so much for listening and for joining us for our very heavy one year anniversary episode. 
Um, yes. If you've even made it this far, like, I hope you have. Uh, the notes, <laughs> yeah, The notes for this episode and all our other episodes are available on our website, teatimewithkc.com. You can also reach, reach out to us via Twitter or Instagram by using the handle at Tea Time with KC. You can reach out to us via email with any questions, comments, any suggestions for future episodes by emailing tea with KC at gmail.com. I put emailings? What is wrong? <laughs> it's okay. Anyways. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you download your podcasts. And also don't forget to head over uh, to the geek to geek Podcast Network website, geek to geekcastcom in order to check out some of the other podcasts. We also have a subreddit, which is geek to geekcast And if you want to join into a conversation with any of us, you can do that live on our messaging app, Slack, which is geek to geekcastslackcom and you can talk to us there. So yeah, please be kind <laughs> to us. Yes. And please, yeah, please understand that these are our thoughts and opinions and it's completely understandable if you have different thoughts and opinions. Um, you know, we all live in this world together and just be kind to one another. Yes. Okay. So until next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for another cup of tea. I'm Void. And I'm Beach. And together, we're the geek to geek podcast. Well, we make it. It is kind of us, but I guess it's separate. Every week, we pick a topic from geek or digital culture and chat about it for a while. And you're invited. We talk about books and movies, games, comics, the internet. Or really whatever we feel like. Yeah, that too. So look for the geek to geek podcast on iTunes. Or wherever your podcasts are sold. Or downloaded. Or whatever. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this there's a good chance you're a geek too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. <laughs>